Well, there was once a day, and some of you can remember it, when you could take a Billy Graham track and you could hand it to someone and there was a good chance that they would read it. You could take it and and say something like, Billy Graham wrote this and it would mean so much to him if you would read it. And you could bet they'd probably go home and they would probably read that because Billy Graham was, in the time of his ministry, a very well-respected man in American culture. He was known as a man of integrity, somebody that you could look up to. So even someone who was not a Christian would take his words seriously. And furthermore, even someone who was not a Christian in that day would take the word of the church seriously because the church was once a trusted and revered institution in American culture. And someone who was not a Christian might even take the words of the Bible seriously because the Bible was a revered book in American culture. We used to have credibility in the world such that people would take us seriously when we talked about the gospel. It hadn't always been like that in church history, but there was a time in American history when it was that way. But no more, right? Just a few weeks ago, I saw a man in our hallway here shaking visibly as he scolded one of our members because he mistakenly believed that we had left some evangelistic material on his doorknob. It was actually a different church that had left it, but it was the same message we would have left there. And from this thought that we had left this stuff on his doorknob, Knowing himself what was inside of it and the message that was in it, his conviction was that it was morally wrong of us to be spreading that message. We should not be out there giving that message. And he lived to me that day. I've prayed for that man many times since then. But he just lives to me as an example of the fact that we are sharing a gospel with people who do not want to hear it. Our mission is to bring this word to a nation that largely does not want to hear it. The people that we long to see come to Jesus have been inoculated oftentimes from an early age to see his ways as hateful and oppressive, to believe that they are their own authority and there is no God on high to be obeyed. And so they're going to become very offended when we tell them there is a God on high who demands obedience. And when we bring the good news to them, oftentimes it feels like trying to break a brick wall by throwing eggs at it. It's not going to work, and it's going to make a big mess at the same time. And to make matters worse, the world outside isn't the only ones hardened against God's word. I'm sure you can remember a time when you have read the scriptures or tried to pray and felt the hardness of your own heart as well. We are all tempted by the deceitfulness of sin. And so you have a sinful people who are trying our best to walk in holiness, but often failing at it trying to bring a message to the world that they don't want to hear. My point is, we need some help if we are going to accomplish this mission. We can't do this thing in our own power. We can't live holy enough lives in our own power to ever matter to the people outside our walls. And they don't want to hear our message in the first place. And so I asked this morning, is there anything that can warm hard hearts toward the word of God? Is there anything that can turn those who hate the sound of the gospel into those who love the sound of the gospel? Is there anything that can warm our own hearts when we sense our own dryness toward the word of God, when we sense that we don't want to hear and obey the word of God? 
Well, this morning we're going to see on the very first page of Scripture several times uh, something that is indeed so powerful it can make a dry heart burst forth like a spring and it can make hardened hearts of those we share the gospel with beat for Jesus. So turn with me, if you would, to the very first page of your Bibles where we are going to skip through the first chapter of the Scriptures like a frog leaping over lily pads in a pond. We're going to skip through it. Uh, What I hope to find there is one aspect of this story that can melt any hardened heart. We read from Genesis 1 this morning. Starting at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Skipping to verse 6. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. Skipping to verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, yielding plants, yielding seed, and fruit uh, on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with their seed in them, and it was so. Verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Verse 20. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind and cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth after its kind, and it was so. Then verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, and the image of God had created them. Male and female, he created them. In verse 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then finally, verse 29, And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it should be as food for you. And every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to every living thing that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. The word of the Lord. I think you get the point. God spoke, and it was so. He used his voice and it happened. Now, by contrast, another master worker, Leonardo da Vinci, spent about four years painting the Mona Lisa. 
After spending much of his life studying human anatomy and developing a mathematical proportion system for how parts should be sized when they are painted, he started with a blank piece of poplar wood and he painted layer after layer with brush strokes that were so tender they cannot be seen by the naked eye. And layer after layer after layer until he brought to life that woman in the painting. She looks like she might just get up and walk right out of it. Four years of meticulous work for a painting that measures 30 inches tall by 21 inches wide. But what we just read is that God spoke and there were all of the stars in the sky. To give another contrast, musicians in Nashville try over and over for their shot at a masterpiece, right? They learn instruments for years and years. They practice and practice so that their fingers do just what they want them to do so that the part sounds just right. That it has to be recorded with just the right microphone and just the right spot and go through that council with all those five million knobs all in just the right spot. Then it's gotta be post-processed. Then it gets delivered through the internet into probably your phone where it goes into your earbuds or into your car. And by the time millions of dollars are spent, every once in a while, a song is a hit and the result is a four-minute song. Millions of dollars and we get a four-minute song out of it. When God spoke one sentence, every plant that has ever been sprouted up out of the earth, some of these species we have not even cataloged. We can make things and they are awesome, but God has created all of this just by speaking it. For the last few weeks, we have looked at amazing aspects of our creation story in Genesis 1, and we've seen how those things unfold in the rest of the scriptures. And that's what we're going to do this morning as well. This morning, we are going to focus on the peculiar and powerful, intentional way that he made everything, and that is by speaking. We are meant to leave this story in awe of the power of God's voice so much that it takes our own voices away. And as we turn through the pages of the Bible, we will find there is a very important reason God wanted you to know that. I pray what it will give to you is if you are a follower of Jesus, it will give you some practical help in those seasons when you sense the hardness of your own heart. It will give you practical help when you are trying to bring the gospel to someone you love who is very hardened against it. And if you don't follow Jesus this morning, I pray that it will be the occasion of salvation for you and the very word that God uses to warm your heart to him. Before we go on to why God wants you to know how powerful his voice is, let's just spend a while on how powerful it is. There are places all over the Bible that talk about the power of God's voice. Probably my personal favorite is Psalm 29. If you want to flip there, go ahead and flip to Psalm 29. We're going to read verses 3 through 9. We'll also put it on the screens here for you if you don't want to flip there. The Lord says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. 
The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fires. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. That majestic, powerful voice can take all of the trees down in Brown County State Park and shred them all into mulch with one word. His whispers can shatter the forest, make it shake so eerily that the deer goes into labor early. He can speak and rip the leaves off of a tree. And when he speaks, it leaves people in awe. Earlier this week, I was with a friend of mine, our director of missions for the Indy area, Chris Kellemeyer is his name, and he was telling a group of us about the tornadoes that had recently come through his area and even down his street. And it's one of those scary stories where they're huddled up in their house and they can hear all the destruction happening outside, but they can't see it yet, and they just sit there in fear for a while, and then it all ends and everything is silent. And so everyone starts walking outside to see what happened. And he said the strangest thing was, this is all neighbors that all know each other. We all know each other in the street. You see somebody in their lawn, you wave and you say hi. It's one of those kinds of neighborhoods. But not this time. This time, everyone at the same time wanders out of their house and no one says a word because they're just in awe of what has happened around them. Three foot thick trees that are just snapped and over in the street. Power lines that are down, cars that have been crushed by trees. He showed us one picture of a big pile of, of tree branches and limbs and things, and he said, believe it or not, there's a house behind all that. It just kind of covered this. It didn't flatten the house, but it covered the house the way that Christmas needles would. Uh, just amazing sights that they saw, and nobody had a word to say because they were just in awe. And this psalm tells us that the voice of the Lord is meant to leave us in the same state, just speechless and amazed at what he can do. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth all their host. And it goes on to say, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. His voice has the power to create. His voice has the power to destroy. And when we read of the power of God's voice in Genesis 1, our response should be to fear him, which simply means to stand in awe of him and to walk in his ways. It means to worship him and obey him. You tremble with joy before him and you do what he says to do. Uh, that is what should happen when we encounter this glorious God whose voice has the power to create and the power to destroy. And interestingly enough, most of the time when people encounter God in the Bible, it is through his voice. Uh, think about the prophet Moses when he first encounters God, right? He is in the desert, and he sees a bush that is burning, but the bush is not being consumed. Now, he sees that, and he says, okay, that's curious. I'm going to go check that out, and he goes and checks it out, and then the Lord speaks to him, 
And that's when it becomes this profound, reverent moment and he's told to take off his sandals and he's told what his destiny is going to be and the work that he is going to do to free Israel from Egypt. It even says that he fears in that moment, but none of that happens until the voice comes. The burning bush wasn't enough to put reverence and awe into his heart. It was the voice of the Lord that did it. You can think also of another prophet, Elijah, who is standing before the Lord knowing that the Lord is about to speak to him. And as he waits for God to speak, there is a wind that blows so powerfully that the rocks split open and the Lord's not in the wind. And then there's a great earthquake and everything's shaking and the Lord's not in the earthquake. And then there's a great fire and things are burning, but the Lord is not in the fire. And then there is a whisper. And the Lord's in the whisper. The Lord whispers to Elijah, and Elijah covers his face at the sound of that whisper. He didn't do that for the earthquake. He didn't do that for the wind that split the rocks in half or for the fire. But when he hears that whisper, now he is encountering God, and he covers his face. And so on. So many times, even when God physically appears before somebody, the main thing in the story is the conversation they have, the things that the Lord says. He reveals himself through his words and through his voice. Now, you can also see this in the way that Israel was told to set up their meeting places. Uh, They have first the tabernacle, which is a portable tent, and then eventually the temple that they dwell in. They come to gather there to gather before God and meet with God. And the way the thing is set up is there's an outer court, and inside that there's an inner court. And inside the inner court, there's a holy of holies where God dwells. And inside the inner court, there is the Ark of the Covenant, which is this very important box that they have. And then inside that are these two tablets of stone upon which is written words that the Lord spoke. The center of the whole gathering place is those words of God. And we reflect that here. Right there is a Bible that is open right at the center of our meeting place to say we gather around the words that God says. And those words were the words of the covenant. It was the words of the Ten Commandments in that case. The words that bound them to God by which they became the people of God. I am your God. You do these things and I do these things. Those commandments written there, the center of their gathering. Now remember, the voice of God is meant to move us to fear him, and we read that in Psalm 33, and fearing him has two parts, right? Standing in awe before him and obeying him. And as it turns out, God says very explicitly many times that when we encounter him through his word, what he expects is that we would obey it. Uh, You see this in Exodus 19, right? right before the Ten Commandments are given, the Lord recounts what he has done. I took you out of Egypt. I rescued you, Israel, from Egypt, from the hand of slavery. And then he says, and now listen to my voice and obey my voice. The words are, now then obey my voice. And those words, obey my voice, are repeated several times over the next few books. The covenant that he makes with Israel could be summed up really in three statements. I am the Lord your God that rescued you from Egypt. Obey my voice and I will bless you. Do not obey my voice and I will curse you. That's the sum of the covenant he made with them. So the Lord meets with his people often by speaking to them and he expects them to obey his voice. So God starts off the Bible by showing us how powerful his voice is and then says, that voice by which I created heaven and earth, I want you to obey it. 
And why shouldn't he? All of creation obeys his voice, right? The trees of the forest shake when he speaks and then they do what he says. The volcanoes tremor at his voice and when he says explode, they explode. And when that voice speaks to his people, you can imagine what his expectation would be. He wants us to tremble and to obey him. Far be it from any human to ever hear the voice of God and ignore it. But guess what? That's exactly what we do, isn't it? Shortly afterward, the Lord says in Deuteronomy 9, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you neither believed him nor listened to his voice. And a generation later in the book of Judges, he says, I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and I dispossessed them before you and I gave you their land and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you lived, but you have not obeyed me. And over generations, our disobedience gets so bad that our eyes become blind to his glory and our ears become stopped up to the point that we can't even hear the message so badly that by the time the prophet Isaiah is around in this era of the divided kingdom, we are disobeying him so much that he commissions Isaiah and Isaiah says, what is my message, Lord? What do I need to say to these people? And here's what he says. He says, go and tell these people, keep on listening and not perceiving. Keep on looking and not understanding. He says to Isaiah, render the hearts of this people insensitive and their ears dull and their eyes dim and otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. So he's telling him, Isaiah, your job as a prophet, these 66 books that you're going to write as one of the big prophets in my time, your job is to proclaim my voice to them so much that it is plain and clear that they are not listening to it. Your job is to preach and not be listened to, Isaiah because these people have grown deaf, deaf and dull to my voice. God had not spoken his truth to every nation, but the people that he did speak to stopped their ears to it, our ears becoming dull and insensitive and even deaf to the voice that once fashioned them. And so what you wind up is a situation that looks like this. You have God's people, Israel, and then you have the other nations. Uh, the nations around them had enough information just by looking around to know that God was God and he deserved to be worshiped. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Some of you might remember it, right? If you have ever seen a sunset or seen a view from the mountains, I mean, you have been in awe of creation and you've got enough information right there to know that there is a God that made this place and he is worthy of your reverence and worship. And the nations were found wanting because they refused to do that. They did not worship the God who made everything. And then on the other hand, you have the people of Israel, God's people that he spoke to with his voice. So they don't just have the testimony of creation, but they have God speaking to them. They have his voice right to them, and they still disobeyed him. So when the voice that the light obeys and the stars obey and the whole earth obeys speaks to his people and they don't obey, you can imagine how God would react. He would bring his judgment upon them. And there is a hard irony in the way that he does it because the way that he judges them is with that same voice. 
The prophet Jeremiah will later say, the Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will shout like those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A clamor has come to the end of the earth because the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh. As for the wicked, he has given them to the sword, declares the Lord. Their disobedience from God's voice earned them judgment from God's voice. And the nation's refusal to worship him, though they could tell from creation he was the God worthy of being worshipped, had also earned them judgment from God's voice. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now we've been talking about Israel so far, but here's what this means for you. Uh, For each of us in this room, we're also kind of in one of those two categories, right? Either perhaps you have never heard the word of God preached, you have never read his scriptures, the Lord has never spoken to you in those ways. Uh, If that's you, you have still seen a sunset, you have still seen the stars and the night sky, you've still had your breath taken away by the beauty of creation and had enough to know that there is a God that is worthy of your awe and worship and refused to worship him. And for the rest of us who have heard preaching, who have heard his word preached faithfully, who have read our Bibles and had God speak to us right to him, are accountable for the fact that we refused to obey the words that he spoke to us. That is how hard-hearted we are. The trees hear him and they bend. The rocks hear him and they break. We hear him. And we dig our heels into the ground and say, no. And if someone would dare say that we have earned God's judgment for that, how offended we would be. But the Lord will come. And the book of Revelation says that when he comes, he will strike down the nations. And it says he will strike them down with a sword Uh, But some of you that know your Bibles really well know that the sword that he strikes them down with is not in his hand, is it? Actually, the sword that he strikes down the nations with is coming from, from his mouth. An odd picture, right? But it's a picture to remind us with vivid imagery there that that judgment he brings to the nations comes from his voice, the destruction of a sword coming from his voice. So here's the plight we put ourselves in. Because we have chosen not to worship God, even after seeing his glorious creation, and most of us have heard him speak and hardened ourselves to his word, Uh, we have hardened our hearts so much that even if God were to offer us us forgiveness, we wouldn't listen. So we don't just need him to forgive us, we need to soften our hearts that are so used to rejecting his word such that we would never accept that offer of forgiveness. And the good news is, Jesus does all of those things for us. And that is why we can stand before him today. The Bible says that Jesus heard the voice of the Lord and he obeyed it completely, right? He obeyed it all the way to death, even to an excruciating death on the cross, right? And he did not want to do that. The night before that, he's in the garden praying to his father, Father, can you take this cup from me? But the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. And he obeys the voice of the Lord. 
And he says that if you would trust him, that death would not only pay for your sins, but his obedience would count as your obedience, right? So this is not like uh, you take a test and you fail it, but now you get another chance to take the test again and maybe this time you'll pass it. This is even better than that. This is you took the test, you failed it, and this time someone else is going to come take it for you and they're gonna get a 100 on it and your report card is going to say 100 on it. His perfect righteousness and obedience before God is credited to those who trust in him and his death pays for their sins. So we no longer have to fear judgment for sin because there is forgiveness and we can anticipate the great reward that is due to him for his obedience. Now God says, his voice from heaven even says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And so we listen now to the voice that says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. So that offers there, right? He offers forgiveness to us. He offers righteousness in our place. But how will we listen to him and receive it if our hearts are so hardened against him, right? Well, here's another thing one of the prophets said. Prophet Ezekiel says, Moreover, I will give to you a new heart, and I will put my new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And then he goes on a few verses later to tell the story of how that prophet Elijah is standing before a valley that is full of dry bones, like a battlefield, just skeletons all over the place. And the Lord says to him, speak my words to those dead bones, and when they hear my words, they will get up and they will live. What the Lord does is he gives to us a new heart that longs to obey him, a new spirit that longs to obey his ways, and he does that through the very same voice. This is the power of the voice of the Lord. So Christian, your heart was once harder than stone. Stone would have broken when the Lord spoke to it, but your heart was once in a place where it would not have done that. And the reason your heart responds to God's voice now is because God gave you a new one. He put a new heart within you. He put a new spirit within you. How do people go from digging their heels in the ground and saying, Lord, I do not want to follow your ways, to saying, Lord, teach me your ways? God gives them a new heart as his word is proclaimed to them. The voice of the Lord is the only thing that can melt a hard heart. So some of you hear this proclaimed, and you may have heard it many times before proclaimed, and part of you wants to believe it. Part of you knows that it is true, and another part of you resists it, and there is wrestling in your heart because you can sense how hardened your heart is to this message, and you're wondering, what do I do? How do I come down on one side or the other on this thing? What you need to do is ask the Lord to soften your heart. Ask the Lord to give you a new heart so that you would seek after him in all of your ways and follow his promptings. Follow Follow him to turn from your sin and follow all of his ways. Follow him in baptism to declare that you are his. Join a gospel preaching church to declare to the world that you are his. For those of you who have been following Jesus, this all means something to you as well. Um, because 
as I talked about a little bit ago, you were trying to deliver the good news to people who don't want to hear it, right? You're trying to bring the gospel to your coworkers who don't want to hear it and to your friends and neighbors who don't want to hear it, right? To your relatives who don't want to hear it. And I would bet there's a good chance that that puts fear in you, uh, perhaps even to the point that that cripples you and you, you can't really talk about the things of God like you want to, to the people that you love. Well, this says something to you as well. Someone you know is hard-hearted against the word of the Lord. The thing that can soften their heart is the voice of the Lord. That can give them a new heart. If they hear God's voice, that can soften their hearts to them. What you want is for them to hear the voice of the Lord. And so the question you've got to be asking is, is how does God speak to people today? How, how can this person who I long to see come to Jesus hear the voice of the Lord? Well, the last place we're going to look today is the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn there, it'll be worth it to turn there because we're going to look at a number of places there. We'll put it on the screens, though, if you don't want to. And we're going to see in Hebrews first the way that God speaks today. I'll start at Hebrews 1.6, and we'll do the lily pad thing and bounce around there as well. Okay, so in Hebrews 1.6, just look for, look for the question, how does God speak in all of these verses? And when he again brings the firstborn of the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. That's a quote of scripture. He says, and then he quotes scripture. Skip down to verse 8. But of the Son, he says, and then he quotes scripture again, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He skipped down to chapter 2, uh, verse 11. He says a lot of preamble for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are now all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and then he quotes scripture a third time. And then finally in chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do you see the pattern? He's using the present tense. God says these things, and then he quotes scripture. If we think of the Bible as a book of words that God once said, we are thinking of it wrong. The Bible is a book of words that God is still this day saying. And when these words are read, the voice that created the world speaks. The voice that shatters the cedars of Lebanon speaks when you sit down with this book and read its words. The Holy Spirit says. So if you want someone who is hardened to God's word to turn to it, when you read the Bible to them, the voice that made the universe, the voice that shatters the cedars, the voice that softened hard hearts is bringing life to dead bones right then as the word of God is speaking to them. That is what your lost friend needs. They need you to read the Bible to them. They need you to memorize portions of the scripture that you think would be applicable to them where they are right there so you've got them in your pocket and you're ready to say them at just the right time. If the voice of the Lord is what melts a hardened heart, let them hear that voice as those words are read to them. That means if you want to be a better evangelist, then you need to know your Bible really well. 
You probably need a few verses on hand that you've got committed to memory that you can just go to whenever you're talking about Jesus with people. That means that when you read your Bible in the morning or evening or both, you probably need to be thinking about those people that you are talking to about the things of Jesus and thinking, how would this connect with this person that I see and talk to every day so that you've got something to spark a God-word-centered conversation with those people? So that's what it means for your relationships with the friends and loved ones you want to see come to Jesus. Here is what it means for you. We have been given new hearts that want to walk in all of God's ways, but it is no secret that we are all still tempted and deceived by sin, aren't we? We even still commit sins very often. Uh, And so the book of Hebrews says that God's voice speaking through the Bible means something personally for us too. Let's read from Hebrews 3.12 to 4.2. It's a bit of a long passage, but it will make the point, I trust. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day while it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers in Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end, while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they heard, this is Israel he's talking about in the desert, indeed did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So he's saying that though the Lord will keep us, we are tempted and deceived by sin. You are capable of turning away from the truth. Now we'll talk about the other half of that in a minute, the good news there. And so he's saying if you hear his voice the same way that Israel heard his voice and hardened themselves against it, if you hear his voice, don't turn away from it or the same thing that happened to them will happen to you. And he goes on in chapter 4, therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For if indeed we have had the good news preached to us just as they also, the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard So he's saying there, the people who saw the Red Sea parted still had hard enough hearts to turn away from God afterwards. And our hearts in many ways are still the same. So he's saying you need to make sure you don't become hardened and do the same thing too. Now, the other side of this truth is that if the Lord has put a new heart and a new spirit in you, that spirit will keep you to the very end. You're not going to fall away because the Lord is going to keep you, but you have a part in that too. Your part is to remember that sin can harden you and you must hear the voice of the Lord when he speaks to you. So what must you do? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like Israel did. And when do you hear his voice? When the scriptures are read, that is how God encounters us today. So instead of letting sin creep into your life and harden you, you need to pay close attention to the words of God as he speaks them in the Bible. Do you want to hear every morning the voice that placed all the stars in the sky? You have access to it every day. Do you sense your heart hardening or do you long for God to soften it? Read his words and cherish them. And pay close attention to them. 
Christian, can you see how important it is to read the Bible every day, given what we've just talked about? To tremble in awe before him as you do and to obey it. If you don't do that, you rob yourself of the voice of God. And the deceitfulness of sin will harden your heart. And then when you do not hear it, you will be numb to it and you will be hard-hearted. If you don't, if you don't keep your heart soft to the voice of God, sin can harden and deceive you. And some of you today follow Jesus, but you know that your heart is hardening toward him. You can sense your dryness toward him. What you need to do is linger long over the words of Scripture so that they will soften you. Let the voice of the Lord speak to you. That may mean carving out the same time each day to read it when it's difficult in your schedule. Or it might mean in those crazy days when you just didn't have time in the morning or in the afternoon, just staying up late even though you're tired just so you can hear his voice. It might mean committing to memorizing portions of it, a chapter of it, or a book of it just so you can linger long over the Scriptures. Let this voice soften you. Others of you ache for someone that you love to follow Jesus and to believe the good news, but you feel helpless to save them. And in many ways, you are helpless to save them, but this voice is not helpless to save them. Let those you love hear the words of the scripture that their heart might be softened toward the Lord. And finally, some of you have heard the gospel message many times, and today is the day that you need to receive it. Today is the day that you need to soften your heart to his words. You might need to ask for his help with that, softening your heart to his words. If that is you today and you want to follow Jesus today, I want you to know that after the service, I'll be in the lobby and our deacons will be up here to talk to you about what comes next, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And what they'll tell you is that means being baptized in his name and joining a gospel preaching church as you turn away from your sin and follow all of Jesus' way. The voice that made the heavens and earth speaks through this word. Listen to it and obey it. Let's pray.